So have you ever heard of the 30-minute rule? Now, I'm not talking about the 30-minute rule where you can only park your horse for 30 minutes in front of the courthouse. Not that kind of 30-minute rule, but the 30-minute rule that's connected to the pool, right? Uh, The old old rule that you have to wait 30 minutes before you can get in the pool after you eat. Now, why do you have to do that? Because your mother told you to. That's why you have to wait the 30 minutes. But really, why? Well, I'll give you the scientific terminology. The scientific terminology is the idea is that when you eat, that there is an increased blood flow and oxygen flow through that blood to your stomach and your intestines. Therefore, if it's increased toward your stomach and your intestines, then, then it's kind of decreased toward other areas of the body, including the muscles. And so the notion is that if you have less blood and less oxygen getting to your muscles, then perhaps when you get in the pool, you will cramp up. Your legs and your arms will suddenly start hurting, and you won't be able to do anything. Man, where's my picture? That's a good picture, too. Huh. Well, no, nah, it was a guy with cramps. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, just, he was just laying on the ground holding his leg. I don't know. Well, there was a picture of a guy with cramps. Um, But but the whole notion is that you would cramp up because of all this stuff that's going on. Now, here's the question. Is any of it true? Well, yes and no. It is true that there is a change. Oh, man, did it stop? Oh, I got to freeze. Well, it's a heart. You may not want to see a heart. I mean, it's not a real heart. You know, it's, it's a diagram. There you go. Thanks, Luke. So, so, yes, it is true that there is an increase of blood flow to the stomach and the intestines, and there's a, a decrease of flow to other parts of the body. But according to medical researchers, including Dr. Charles Smith at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, it's not enough of a decrease that it's really going to cause the kind of debilitating cramps that you think of or that you hear of might happen in your arms and your legs. According to Dr. Mark Messick of Duke Primary Care in North Carolina, the most danger we face from eating and jumping in the pool or jumping in the lake might be a minor cramp. Now, with that said, don't get crazy with this medical advice, okay? We're we're talking about you eating a hot dog, munching on a piece of watermelon, and then getting in the pool in your unicorn float and just kind of kicking your feet around for a few minutes, all right? What we're not talking about is you entering a hot dog contest, you know, at the lake, and when you're done, jumping in to decide to do some Olympic training on the 10,000-meter marathon. We're not talking about that. You still need to be wise when you're eating and swimming. But, generally speaking, the 30-minute rule is not a medical commandment because the cramps won't happen according to doctors like you say. So, moms, I'm sorry, and kids, still listen to your mom if she says you got to wait 30 minutes. It's still how it works. Also, don't underestimate the power of digestion. Now, I'm not talking about digestion in general with food. I'm talking about a unique kind of digestion, a kind of digestion that's more than just hot dogs and watermelon. It's a kind of digestion that can actually change your life today. It's a a way of digesting that won't just change your life today. It'll change your life tomorrow. It'll change your life the next day. In fact, it can change your entire life. Well, what in the world kind of digestion is that? Well, let's find out. Psalm 23, I'm going to read verse 1 and then on into verse 2. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That scene immediately sounds like Little House on the Prairie, right? 
You can just see Mary and Laura and Carrie, they're running around chasing butterflies. And, and Ma and Pa, they're on a, a patchwork quilt looking up at the clouds, enjoying the sky. There's a, there's a pail of berries that the girls picked, and, and there's a pitcher of cool water that Pa scooped up out of the creek, and, and there's a little gentle breeze rustling through the wildflowers. I mean, just a green pasture. That's usually what we think of when we think of this picture. I think it's pretty easy to do that. I mean, we hear that God's going to give us some time lying down in a green pasture, and we think, hey, vacation. You know, vacation at the beach, vacation at the lake, you know, uh, vacation in the mountains. You know, maybe, maybe a, a little southern living cottage in a, in a small little town where we go to retire and pick berries and, and go to the town square and hear banjo picking on Friday night. You know, just this nice, relaxing thing. All that's good. All that's fine. But all of those things could be dangerous. Now, why in the world could they be dangerous? Well, the reason they're dangerous is they might create a dream that's a false hope. Just consider King David himself. King David did not grow up on a farm across the way from the Ingalls in Walnut Grove. So a shepherd, when he thinks of a green pasture, he, he might be looking at a, a huge, rocky, open space with, with some tufts of grass spread out all over the place, but, but not this big green meadow. And those little tufts of grass and that, that big rocky area are sitting underneath a, a hot, sweltering sun. And so that's a, a whole different picture of a green pasture. So the reason we don't get too wrapped up in the little house on the prairie idea of the green pasture is because the reality is it, it may not turn out that way. It may create a false hope. Now, this is especially true for you graduates. Uh, this is a whole new phase of life for y'all. Y'all are getting ready to hit a whole new gear. Everything is about to change, and it's exciting and fun. And on behalf of our church, we long for you guys to have success. We long for you guys to be happy. We long for you guys to have joy. If you're going off to school, man, we want you to do your best. We want you to make the best grades you can. If you're not going to school and you're going to work, man, get a great work ethic. Enjoy the, the freedom that comes from working hard. If you are going off to school, if you're going to Greenwood or wherever you may be, uh, Savannah, go, go find a local church, even there, to invest in. Uh, find, a, find a way to volunteer in the community or volunteer on campus. We, we want you to have an impact in your world. But we also want you to know that, that according to everything that God tells us, the most satisfying joy, the most satisfying realities of your life will never be found in your education, your career, your vacation, your sports, or your family, or your friends. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 16, 25 and 26. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? So if, you're, if your soul is captured by the grace and the mercy and the salvation that can only come from Jesus Christ, then everything about that truth means that you gain the greatest pleasure and the greatest profit that is anywhere in the history of the universe and even the future of the universe. But also, according to Jesus, if you gain all the profits and all the accomplishments and all the pleasures of this world, and yet your soul is still chained to the curse of sin, then, then you lose. You lose all peace and hope for this world, and you lose the happiness and the satisfaction that comes in the next world. There is a satisfaction that can only come from Jesus. There's a guy named Chap Bettis, which is just a great name. And Chap got his training over at Columbia International here in our area. 
He now is the executive director of a family equipping group called the Apollos Project. He was talking about the birth of his daughter, and this is what he says. I can still remember May 24th, 1991, like it was yesterday. For months, I'd known we were going to have a baby, but the first time my daughter was placed in my arms, I felt like a kick to my stomach. Dads, if you have a daughter, you've been there. The blow was me realizing God had entrusted us with a beautiful baby who entirely depended on us. Of even greater weightiness, God put into our hands a human soul that was going to live forever. And then he says this. Will she take dance? Will she play soccer? Where will she attend kindergarten, public school, private school, or homeschool? We want to give our children the best, but what exactly is the best? He goes on. Looking around, we see parents rushing frantically from activity to activity. Most would probably say they're trying to raise well-educated, well-adjusted children to be happy and successful. But, he says, should these be the primary goals of a Christian parent? Are we supposed to raise good kids who pursue the American dream with some Christianity sprinkled in? What was the very last thing that Jesus said, at least one of the last things that Jesus said before he left this earth? He looked at his closest friends and he said, go and make disciples. This is what Betta says. Christian parenting is disciple making and obeying Christ's commission should orient all we do as parents. We educate our children not ultimately to ensure that they find a high paying job, but to form them as followers of Jesus. We discipline them not so they'll make us happy, but so they'll serve Christ as adults. We prepare them for judgment day as well as for graduation day. So graduates, we, with joy and excitement and grace and the authority of heaven, we plead with you to know you cannot sprinkle Christianity on your life. It's never how Jesus talks to us. In fact, everything that, that it would say here is that we would plead with you to plan for Judgment Day as well as Graduation Day. That, that those two days would be clear in your mind and your heart. And that you would know that without Jesus Christ, everything from Jesus says that without him, we would actually lose our souls. There's a Hallmark card for Graduation Day, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. See, with Jesus Everything changes. With Jesus, if you fail the quiz. With Jesus, if things don't work out with the boy or the girl. With Jesus, if the job doesn't happen like you thought it would. With Jesus, what you have is abundant life. Life full of love and hope and peace and satisfaction where the curse of sin does not have its grip on you and you are never abandoned by the living God. You are free. You are free in Christ, and you are free forever. That's the greatest thing we could give you on graduation day, that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. So that's why we say, not just to graduates, but to all of us, don't, don't get overly obsessed with the little house on the prairie green pasture. And here's why. It's not the green pasture itself. It's what happens in the pasture. So what happens in the pasture? Listen to what King David says again. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Although my driver's license says different, it hasn't been that long since I graduated from high school. It feels a little bit like yesterday. And if you would have told me when I was graduating from high school that somebody was going to come up to me with this concept from God that he was going to make me do something, 
Yeah, I probably would not have put that into my graduation mixtape. That's not something that I want to hear, that God's going to make me do something. So is God some kind of control freak, some kind of, some kind of dictator going to make us lie down in his pasture? No, not at all. See, here's the thing. In a very unique way, every single one of us are stubborn. And if in your mind just now you just went, I'm not stubborn, then you just proved my point. Uh, we, we are stubborn people. We are very stubborn. Some of us will not eat the way we're supposed to eat. And some of us will not push away from the table the way we're supposed to push away from the table. We're stubborn. Some of us are are stubborn because we don't sleep the way we need to. And some of us are stubborn because we don't get out of the bed the way that we need to. Some of us are stubborn because we don't donate money when we should. And some of us are stubborn because we won't accept money when we should. Some of us are stubborn because we don't want to have someone else volunteer and help and serve. And some of us are stubborn because we won't help and volunteer and serve. And on and on and on this list could go. We we are all stubborn. Sometimes we're stubborn for kind of, you know, mean and nasty reasons. And sometimes we're stubborn for, for nice and noble reasons. But we're all stubborn in one way or the other. And God, being the shepherd, he, he knows this. He knows that we're stubborn because we're sheep, and he knows sheep are stubborn. Now, somebody might say, well, man, that, that offends me, man. I'm not a sheep. I don't smell like no sheep. I don't act like no sheep. Sheep are, are dumb, and they don't obey. I, I'm not like that. Philip Keller was born in East Africa. For years, he was involved in land management and ranch development in British Columbia. In other words, he learned a lot about what it means to be a shepherd. He has experience as a shepherd. So he wrote a book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And in that book, he gives four reasons why a sheep will not lie down. Okay, these are his four reasons. Sheep will not lie down if they're afraid of something. Sheep will not lie down if there's friction or conflict. Sheep will not lie down if a bunch of flies or parasites are are pestering them. And sheep will not lie down if they're anxious about something. Maybe, Maybe we're not like sheep. I mean, fear conflict, aggravating circumstances, and anxiety. Stuff like that doesn't keep us awake, does it? Stuff like that doesn't clam us up or cause us to scream at our phone for autocorrecting the wrong words, right? No, nah, no, nah, we, we, we don't get upset about things like that. Listen to those words again. Fear, conflict, aggravating circumstances, anxiety. Anybody been there this week? See, things like that, They can throw your whole day out of whack. And they can throw your whole life off track. And so what do we do when those things come along? Let me just confess for us. Normally what we do is nothing. Really. We kind of keep being afraid and we keep being angry and we, we keep being aggravating. We keep being apathetic. We keep being anxious. We don't stop. We don't try to, to reboot. We don't try to recalibrate. We don't try to refresh or renew or remember. We don't even try to repent. We just do nothing. But see, that's why it's so cool when the curse of sin loses its grip on you. That's why it's so cool when the good shepherd rescues and saves and redeems you. That's why being in Christ is so valuable. Why it's so satisfying. Because see, when you won't stop, when you can't stop, or when you don't stop, God will make you stop. 
He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll cause you. He will orchestrate things in your life to make you lie down in a green pasture. William Evans says this, It is generally recognized as being a very difficult thing to get God's people to lie down. They will do almost anything and everything else but that. They will run, walk, fight, sing, teach, preach, almost anything and everything except seek seasons of quiet with God. We do not like pauses. (laughs) We don't, do we? We do not like pauses. If if we're really honest with ourselves, we really don't want our whining to pause. We don't want our whining to be paused. We don't want our complaining to be paused. We don't want our frustration or our aggravation or our anger or our apathy. We don't want our anxiety, our fear, our worry, our pride. We do not want those things to pause. We want to keep living in them. We love them. We want to stay in them. Because what we want is we want to stay in them long enough until somebody listens to us. See, we want our our spouse or our parents or our kids or or our principal or our boss or our politician or our pastor or the pizza delivery guy or whoever it is. We want them to listen to what we want and we want them to give us what we want or at least we want them to listen enough to say, hey, we feel your pain. No, we don't want to lie down. We don't want to lie down in a pasture and admit that the Lord is our shepherd. And because he won't abandon us, we have everything we need. We don't want to lie down like that. What we want to do is we want to protest and we want to blog and we want to vote and we want to comment on Facebook. We, we want our voice to be heard. Whether we're screaming or whispering, whether we're texting or typing, we sometimes want our voice to be heard even by being silent and just saying nothing. We don't want to lie down. We don't want to lie down in a, in a green pasture and hear the truth or be reminded of the truth that God so loved you that he gave his only son. He gave his only begotten son to die for your sin so that me and you won't get our way. Let me repeat that. Jesus died so that I wouldn't get my way and so that you won't get your way. Because if we get our way, we die in sin's curse. That's what happens if we get our way. So God and his love completely changes the story. See, we don't want to pause and remember and believe that. But can I just say on behalf of your heart and your mind and your soul, they are desperately wanting to lie down in a green pasture. Mine is. Our hearts, our minds, and our souls, we we need to lie down in a green pasture. William Evans goes on to say this, we do not like pauses, but from the rush into the hush, Jesus calls us. That's good. That's, that's written more than 100, almost 100 years ago now. That's good. From the rush to the hush. Now, you may be here this morning going, ah, oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to get in my car and leave the rush of the city and drive out to the country somewhere and, and find me some pasture to go and, and have a, a yoga hush moment with God. I, I ain't got time for that. Fair enough. And actually, that's really not what David is saying. But, but let me see if I can kind of walk us through this by maybe pointing out some of my own sinful nature. 
I've shared this with a few people this week. So I have four teenagers. And so right now, in this moment, is the craziest, busiest, most active, most change in adjusting and scheduling and attitudes that we have ever experienced in 21 years. And some days it is fun, 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 and some days it is hard, hard, hard. But the fun is good, and even the hard is good. So this week I'm having one of those moments where directly connected to my teenagers, I was having both fun and both difficulty all in the same moment. Thankfully, I was out in public, so it was good. You know, there was fun and difficulty. And I get a phone call, and it's Joanna, our office administrator here at the church. And Joe calls to tell me very sadly that she was offered another job. It's a great job. It's a government job. It's so good for her and her husband, John, and their kids. It's fantastic, and, and, and we want to cheer her on. Her last day will be June 1st. So y'all, if you see her, be sure to love her and encourage her. But, but, but I love Joe, and I love John. I love their family, and, and I'm really excited for them. I was really excited on the phone for them. But see, my wonder twin power is that I can actually do two amazing things at the exact same time. See, I can be genuinely really happy and at the same time be genuinely really stressed all in the exact same moment. You may have that wonder twin power too. I was very, very excited even as I was on the phone, but in my mind what was going on was what usually happens is when I have a moment where, oh no, all of this is happening inside my mind, sounds like a newborn baby getting a tetanus shot. You know, it's just, I don't know if newborn babies get tetanus shot, but, but you get the picture, man. It's just, whoa. So I'm standing and, and I have this whoa moment after I hang the phone up. But see, here's my problem in life. See, I stand here every week and preach sermons. And those sermons are not just for this pulpit. See, I preach this sermon to myself all week long and then keep preaching it to myself as the week goes on. So if it's true in the pulpit of the sanctuary, it also has to be true in the parking lot at Sonic. So I hang up the phone with Joe and, and have my oh moment, and then I, I just stopped. And I think I said it out loud. I don't know if I said it out loud or to myself, but I said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Last week's sermon. And all of a sudden, in a millisecond, I went from rush to hush. Why? This is who God is. He's not just casually our shepherd in some painting in an art gallery. He is the good and awesome and almighty shepherd. It's who he is. And his desire is to make sure that we go from rush to hush a lot. Now, does that mean I haven't had any stress about that since? No, I've had a few moments, but here's the difference. You see, because the Lord is my shepherd, because the Lord has promised me that he will never abandon me, and because he has guaranteed his promise with the death of Jesus, and because on a Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his life up and died for my sin, and then three days later, because he came back from the grave, therefore in these moments, my stress is momentary because my God is eternal. He's our shepherd. He's our shepherd. I saw this week that Adrian Rogers once preached a sermon 
and it was titled, How to Rest in Peace Without a Tombstone. <laughs> Chew on that at lunch. It's, it's pretty good. And it's a pretty good picture of what it means to, to lie down in a green pasture. So, is this what we're offering? Are we offering some, some catchy Bible verses? Are we offering some, some tweeted, you know, little Christian quotes to try to, try to help you out in a moment of pain? Is, is this just like little crutches to kind of give you pep talks? Is that all it is, just pep talks for the parking lot at Sonic? No, that's not what we're offering. What we're proclaiming and what we're offering is spiritually healthy digestion. You see, a sheep, when it lies down, has an opportunity to chew its cud. Now, what does it mean for a sheep to chew its cud? Well, it involves a whole lot of stuff, including a bunch of chambers in their stomach and some other things that are just gross that I'm not going to say because we're all going to lunch in a few minutes. But just trust me, and we'll just say it this way. Chewing the cud is the way for a sheep to thankfully enjoy what it's received. When a sheep is chewing the cud, what it's doing is it is getting everything it can, all the nutrients it possibly can, out of the food that it's been given. So here's what's cool about the 30-minute rule when it comes to a Christian. You see, the 30-minute rule for a Christian means that we don't just have to listen to a sermon. It means we don't just have to, to listen to a Sunday school lesson. We don't just have to listen to a worship song or a hymn. We don't just have to listen to an anthem from the choir. We, we don't just have to read a devotional book. We don't just have to read our favorite Christian blogger, our favorite Christian tweeter, and whoever else it is that's out there. It means that we actually, in our hearts and our minds and our souls, can chew on the truth of the gospel. To lie down in a green pasture means that we really get to consider what it is we have in Jesus Christ. We get to chew on what was written down about Jesus. We get to, to chew on, on what was proclaimed about his birth. We get to chew on, on his miracles. We get to chew on, on the radical claims that he made about himself. We get to chew on, on his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension. We get to chew on the fact that, as one pastor said, Jesus did not just beam himself down at the last minute and die on the cross. This was a comprehensive plan. Jesus was born for the purpose to die for the sin that has a grip on your life and my life. That is why he was born. Graduates, I want you to know the gospel is not a fairy tale. And perhaps people in your classes or the places that you work will tell you it is. But it's not. Now, the gospel is, is the promise of the good shepherd, and the good shepherd has guaranteed his promise through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you may say, well, why is his green pasture so good? I mean, why, why should I go to the green pasture of the gospel? Why should I go to the good shepherd's green pasture? How is it better or, or different than the green pasture of family and friends? How is it different than the green pasture of, of a good education or, or a good job? How is it different than the green pasture of, of money or fame? Octavius Winslow said this, The grass of these pastures never withers. 
The flowers of these gardens never fade. The springs of these meadows never dry. Approach them and you will find them always rich in nourishment, replete with comfort, inspiriting of joy, ever strengthening, ever soothing, ever sanctifying the warmest love and the brightest hope. And then he says this, And when barrenness, dreariness, and sorrow becloud every other position and prospect of life. Let me just stop because we don't use the word becloud much, right? Graduates, all of these people in this room can promise you, you will be beclouded. There will be moments just like this, barrenness, dreariness, sorrow, stress. It's reality. And, and all of us experience this. But don't miss the other side of this. So when you're beclouded in every other position and prospect of life, at the foot of the cross are found a precious Savior, perfect peace, fullness of joy, the love of God, and the hope of glory. That's what we have in Jesus. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. It is real peace, real joy, real love, real hope, and it's all found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we would say to you, oh, please don't waste your life. Run to Christ. Stay with Christ. Increase your passion for Christ and follow Christ. And that's not just for graduates, is it? It's for every single one of us. In short, what Winslow was saying was what the Scripture says more succinctly. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Anybody's life today just like it was yesterday? Anybody's life just like it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago? Has anything changed in your life? Will anything change in your life from here on out? Yeah, it will. But you know, Sylvester Thompson taught my RA group when I was a kid. And Sylvester used to weep when he talked about the cross. And you know why? Because Jesus Christ was the same that day when I was a boy. And he's the same today. And a thousand years from now, he will be the same. And his peace and his love and his hope will never end. And they will always be the only thing that will truly satisfy my heart in your heart. Jesus Christ, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Graduates, parents, grandparents, all of us who can hear my voice, man, let's chew on 